Hey, hello again. This is Tavi, and welcome to The Solar Spill. Susanna's out again this week on vocal rest, so I've put together a quick primer on the upcoming Conference of the Parties to the UN Convention on Climate Change, or as you might have heard it referred to in the news, COP26. That's COP26. So in just a few days, thousands of people will convene in Glasgow, Scotland for the conference that was initially supposed to take place in person in November 2020, but was postponed due to the pandemic. With the timely release of the UN Climate Report earlier this year, the goal of COP26 is to prove that countries take climate priorities seriously and are working on issues such as methane emission reductions, enacting a global carbon market, and weaning countries off of coal production. But with the United States currently mired in an intra-party battle over the scope and funding of President Biden's agenda, which includes key mechanisms designed to help the U.S. hit its own carbon mitigation goals, will the U.S. be able to prove its commitments to fighting climate change and send a signal to other countries that it will lead the global transition away from fossil fuels? Or will COP26 play out as a missed opportunity to rally global leadership around clear commitments that will reduce carbon emissions and get us back on track to avoid a climate catastrophe? In today's quick episode, we'll give you all the info you need to understand what's on the agenda and what to look out for in the coming weeks. Let's dig in. Okay, so one really easy way to summarize COP26 is that it serves as a robust check-in on the Paris Climate Agreement of 2015. As a reminder, almost every country in the world has signed on to that agreement, minus Iraq, Iran, and Turkey. And one of the requirements of that agreement is that all the countries that sign on are required to gather every five years and update each other on their progress, compare strategies, cooperate to overcome challenges, and most importantly, update their ambitions. So before the Paris Agreement, the science at the time had put the global economy on track to warm the planet by at least 3.7 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels by the year 2100. Today, current science is telling us that existing policies will lead to a 2.9 degree increase and that the previously announced targets would actually sort of increase, uh, lessen the increase to about 2.4 degrees. It's still hotter than the Paris Agreement's objective of less than two degrees warmer. So if you want to go into more depth on the latest UN Climate Report, we've got an episode uh, of the solar spill on that topic from a couple months ago, and I'll drop a link in the description. So with a year of progress lost to COVID, and with our new target almost a half a degree higher than the original goal, all eyes are on COP26 to get some serious and transformative commitments out of the governments of the world to confront climate change and begin to right the ship. Okay, so as a reminder, the Paris Agreement has sort of three main pillars or categories of commitments that will all be discussed and updated at COP26. Uh, the first of those pillars is the nationally determined contributions, which are the targets that countries set for lowering emissions on a national level. Next, there's international climate financing, which is the transnational financing that's usually coming from richer countries that seeks to support mitigation and adaptation actions that will address climate change, again, usually in developing nations. So the sort of flow of money from rich countries to poorer countries to help mitigate and address climate change. Finally, the third pillar is the political commitment of all parties to encourage and enforce these goals and agreements, both in the private and the public sector. 
since the Paris Climate Agreement essentially relies on like political enforcement over direct legal enforcement, you know, a big part of making this thing work is that the biggest and most powerful nations must meet their own goals to have the credibility to then send their delegates out into the world and encourage or enforce others to do the same. And that, dear listeners, is why America will be in the spotlight at COP26. See, our form of bifurcated democracy has created a real sense of whiplash for some folks in the international community, particularly when it comes to our commitments on climate. Remember, the U.S. was instrumental to the formation of the Paris Climate Agreement in 2015. And then, on June 1st, 2017, former President Donald Trump announced that the U.S. would cease all participation in the agreement, contending that the agreement would undermine the U.S. economy and put the U.S. at a permanent disadvantage. Fast forward to February 2021, and Biden formally rejoins the agreement. That's that whiplash, that back and forth of U.S. politics determining our commitments to these goals. This back and forth has cast serious doubt on the United States' ability to be considered a leader in this space, especially considering that we're also historically one of the biggest carbon producing countries in the world. So you can kind of see why all eyes are on us, not just in the international political theater, but even in our current spate of infighting within the Democratic Party as they sort of whittle down President Biden's potentially transformative commitments to reduce US greenhouse gas emissions by half and rapidly shift our economy away from fossil fuels. So when the conference kicks off next week, next week through November 12th, what should you be looking for? Well, remember those first two pillars as they can sort of serve as an easy guide. First, let's look out for those nationally determined contributions. And more importantly, how each nation will concretely commit to meeting them. Look for what policies the U.S. announces to give the world confidence that it can hit its goal to reduce emissions by about 50% below 2005 levels by 2030. China has announced a goal to be carbon neutral by 2060, but do they have a nearer term goal other than to hit peak use before 2030? Uh, Japan has announced a 46% reduction from 2013 levels by 2030. How will they get there? And what will we hear from Australia, India, Russia, who are all major emissions producers? We should be keenly interested in signals from diplomats on how pressure will be applied where identified gaps continue to exist around the world. That second pillar to look for is financial commitment from developed countries. There's a lot of interest in ensuring a just transition to clean energy system around the world, and developed countries have been benefiting from polluting the atmosphere, and there's long been pressure on them to offset some of the damages from climate change and to support low emissions development in developing countries. In 2009, as a part of the separate Copenhagen Accord, developed nations promised to be donating $100 billion each year to a green climate fund by 2020, but contributions to date have fallen short. The degree of shortfall is actually in dispute because countries are trying to count their loans as donations. So will the US, EU, Australia, and Japan commit to ponying up and will we clarify expectations to avoid sort of dodgy accounting moving forward? Also be sure to look for solid commitments to phasing out fossil fuel infrastructure as one of the most important short-term mitigation measures to make sure the global temperature doesn't rise to catastrophic levels before the close of this decade. 
And there will likely be tons of discussion that revolve around uh, what are being called sort of adaptation measures, which will target the symptoms of climate change and how the nations of the world can adapt their economies and their population to rising waters, rising temperatures, mass migration events, and more, the, the sort of stuff that is caused by the symptoms of climate change. So with the COP26 conference taking place over the coming weeks, we here at the Solar Spill will be reading, listening, and watching intently, and we'll likely produce another episode on the topic to help analyze what actually happened after the fact. Next week, we've actually got a really exciting episode in the works. It's our first ever interview on the Solar Spill. We'll be talking to two experts on purpose-driven businesses that have been helping Suncom complete our most recent public benefit report, and it's going to be a good one. For now, I just want to thank you for tuning in and remind you that if you want to take a step towards mitigating climate change at home and strap a fully functioning clean energy power plant onto your home or business, check us out at suncommon.com. We serve New York's Hudson Valley and Capital Region, as well as the wonderful state of Vermont. And that's suncommon.com. For The Solar Spill, this is Tavi. Thanks again for listening.